The Titans have lost again, falling to the Jaguars 34-14. That makes 14 losses in the last 17 games for the Titans. Is Mike Vrabel on the hot seat? Where does the team go from here? We're going to break it all down now. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media in partnership with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me as always is Justin Mello. And Justin, is this rock bottom? Uh, I mean, it's pretty close to it. I don't know if it's quite rock bottom, but it's really, really, it's close. To, you can touch the bottom, right, of the pool, I think, yeah. if, uh, if that's where you're going with it. Yeah, I mean, another terrible performance, right, by the Tennessee Titans. A, a lifeless performance from the offense, especially who didn't score until the final play of the third quarter and needed like a bunch of trickeration to get anything going offensively. I mean, defense really not much better, if any better, uh, from you know the secondary to the pass rush. Lots to talk about, unfortunately, uh, as they put forth another just total lifeless performance. Yeah, we have a few things I want to cover in addition to this game. It's starting to heat up in the media. Is Mike Vrabel on the hot seat? Like the the Titans media is asking the players now why Mike Vrabel should keep his job. So this conversation is getting serious. We're also going to talk updated draft order, where the Titans stand, who they're rooting for and against for the rest of this season, because it's going to get, I mean, as the season progresses, Justin, it's getting so tedious to recap these games. And honestly, y'all out there watching or listening, let us know in the comments below what you'd rather us focus on here from a podcast perspective. Do you want us to recap this game and go into the details? I mean, the Titans are now three and seven. The playoffs are all but a, a mirage way off in the distance at this point. I would be shocked if they turned. I mean, they'd have to turn things around and win out to even have a chance to get in. Right. So like, yeah, we're not I, even I don't think you got to about... be nice and say all but. Um, no, it's a mirage. Yeah. It's not all, but it's a full-blown mirage. Like they they <laughs> like might win another it ain't game. Happening. At, two games at most this year. At, I, I, I don't even think they'll win another two games this year, to be honest. So, no, it's not all but a mirage. You keep using these. The playoffs are sl- or the slipping. No, no, no. The season has fully slipped away. Like, this is a full-blown <laughs> disaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's an ESPN Plus article out now called Seven Coaches Who Had Truly Terrible Sundays and What's Next? Do you think Mike Vrabel's on that list? I'll give you a hint. He is. So this is a real thing that's happening now. How do you defend Mike Vrabel, Justin? Because I know you can, and I know you have thoughts on defending Mike Vrabel. But at this point, like I said before, 3-14 and 14 in their last 17 games. And there is a clear lack of discipline on display by this team. Constant false starts. The, the penalties on defense, on third downs, jumping off sides, pass interference, holding down the field. There are certain things about this losing streak that you can sort of pin on coaching. And even if it's like, well, you need to blame the position coaches for players not being disciplined with their penalties. Like, it still ultimately all falls at the feet of Mike Vrabel. But I know you do have a defense for why he should not yet be fired. What is it? Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, I think he's a really good football coach. I'm going to continue defending him. Uh, I, I always say this. I've been saying this a lot on Twitter lately. I get it, right? Like losing is very, very frustrating. And as a passionate fan, what does it make you do? 
and it, it, it boils up all this anger inside of you and someone's got to pay for this and I want heads to roll. And I, like, it just, I think some of the worst thing for fans, you know, it's the inaction, right. That upsets you, right? No, someone's got to pay for this. Who are we going to hold accountable? I get that. I get that sentiment. I really do. But I, I, I'm just personally a little bit more even keeled. I'm not going to lose sight of what I know to be true. And what I know to be true is he's a good football coach. When he had a good roster, he had good players at his disposal. They won multiple divisions. They've been to an AFC championship game. And look, all coach, like Bill Belichick, you know, that's true of Bill Belichick too. And all of a sudden things aren't going well. So I get it. It's two sides to the coin. But um, you fired the GM a year ago, right? And that was before you were even really embarking on a long losing streak. Right. So I, I, you know, applaud Miss Amy Adams Trunk in all honesty, because I think she had the vision to sort of see where this thing was going before even some of some of us did in, in truthfulness. So she had the vision. She saw that this roster was not in a good place and she fired the GM. That told you right there who she thought was accountable for this mess. I don't think you turn around a calendar year later and say, well, no, it's actually the head coach's uh, fault as well, because you could have fired them both at the same time. You really could have. So this is a bad roster, right? I keep making the same points over and over again. This is a bad roster. That is why they are losing right now. Look, uh, do I think Mike Rabel's perfect? No, I don't think any coach in the league is perfect, period. I said it last week. Every fan base, go around. You only listen to a Titans podcast. I'm with you. Go around. People are, go on Kansas City Chiefs Twitter. A couple of weeks ago, they, they lost the game. They're complaining about Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, give me a damn break, right? You can find complaints about anybody in the league, any player, any team. And no, Mike Rabel is not perfect. No, Tim Kelly is not perfect. No, Shane Bowen is not perfect. All of them could be better. No doubt about it. None of them are primarily accountable for what we are watching right now. This is a personnel-based problem. It is not a good football roster. It simply isn't. You cannot win many games with this roster because, yes, coaches matter, but players win more games on Sundays than coaches do. And these players, and in fact, I've even got a counterpoint. You brought up the discipline thing, and I, I get that too. Discipline does fall on the head coach. But I think, don't get it misconstrued, I think a lot of that stuff also has to do with talent. You know who commits false start penalties? Bad offensive linemen. Not just undisciplined ones, bad ones. Because they're worried about getting out of their stance because they're getting beat consistently. You know who commits holding penalties? Bad offensive linemen. Why? Because if they don't hold, they lose reps. Why? Because they're not good. They're not as good as the guys they're trying to block. You know who commits holding penalties in secondary? Bad cornerbacks. Because they can't. They, they're going to let wide receivers get open, so they start committing holds. So that's not strictly a discipline thing, in my opinion. That's also a talent thing, and it goes back to the personnel-based problems this roster has. This roster is a bottom-five roster in the NFL, and what are you getting? Bottom-five results. I mean, I, feel free to challenge me. Go on, You're watching this on YouTube? Put in the comments. Which roster is worse than the Titans? that are doing better, that have a better record right now than the Titans do. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that want Vrabel fired that will come up with an answer. Ultimately, I think this roster is very much in the same tier as the New England Patriots, as the New York Giants, as the Carolina Panthers, as the Chicago Bears. And yes, some of those teams were a bit more competitive on Sunday, but there have been other instances this year where they haven't been competitive and the Titans were. Week-to-week league, Titans are among the five worst rosters in the NFL, and you're getting bottom five results. That is not a coaching problem. It is a player roster. It's a personnel problem. Yeah. I mean, I I agree with what you're saying, and I also get the other side of it from the fans who are frustrated, which is more like 
my level-headed approach to this on the other side is not that I think Mike Vrabel should be blamed for everything and this is a terribly coached team and he should be fired and bring in the next guy because at the end of the day in the NFL, the next guy always comes in with so much hope and so much promise and two to three years later, they're back on the hot seat getting fired or or worse, maybe less than two to three years. I mean, look around the league at the new hires right now. What I mean, D'Amico Ryan's maybe the only coach having a like new first year coach having success right now this season this is what happens in the nfl you you always wonder what's behind door number two you'd rather take the mystery box than the boat the famous family guy meme right which we've referenced on this pod a a few times but i i do think there's something to be said for just being frustrated with the direction of this team and wanting a fresh approach just like i know mike variable's good he may go somewhere else and win but i want something fresh for my team right now in tennessee that's a fan perspective that I totally get, where it's just like, let's see, maybe Ben Johnson is it's a genius. It's not good enough for me, though. It's not good yeah. enough. It's not it just, I get wanting new and fresh, just it's not good enough for me. And like, and I, I look, it could go the other way. I get it. But as soon as you say, oh, like everyone's always ready for a new approach, and then sometimes it gets worse, immediately I think of like the Denver Broncos running Vic Fangio out of town, who I thought was a good head coach, a good head coach, right? And we're so exciting. Let's get an offensive minded guy in here. You replace him with Nathaniel Hackett, and you've got probably the worst, one of the worst. Like that's, that's a lot more common, I think. And I know that the Hackett example might be a bit extreme, but that's a lot more common to me than going from rape. Vrabel's a top 10 coach in this league. I'll defend that take. I really do believe that. They are more than likely, the odds are, they're not going to get better than Mike Vrabel. And look, you could say, oh, the quarterback, just because you drafted a bust at quarterback doesn't mean you don't draft another quarterback. And I get that, but they don't have a bust of a head coach. They've got a good head coach, right? It's like, I'm not, if the Cardinals, for if they don't move on from Kyler Murray, that's the player to quote comparison right there, right? It's like, I know I've, I, he's got his issues, but I've got a good quarterback. The chances of me getting better. If the Minnesota Vikings re-signed Kirk Cousins this summer, I'll understand it because the chances of him drafting a replacement where they're going to be drafting and getting a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins is not likely. Those are some similar comparisons. I didn't even prepare those just off the top of my mind that you're, you're going to get worse. It's, it'd be very, very unlikely, I think, that the Titans fire Mike Rabel and get a better coach. And I get it. No, you don't not do it to the fear of trying. It's not that to me. It's that you already have a good one. It's a player thing. This roster is terrible. It is terrible. Yeah. The Vikings have a quarterback better than Kirk Cousins. His name is Josh Dobbs, <laughs> so get out of here with that. After the loss on Sunday to the Broncos, <laughs> Sunday night, I don't, I don't know that they're still feeling yeah. that way, but... <laughs> um. No, I, I get what you're saying, and I, and I agree. Ultimately, it's sort of like a short-sighted reactionary. We're frustrated. Like you said at the beginning, we're frustrated. And we want to see some accountability. Yes. So fire someone. Make a change. We need a change. But it's not going to be this off, this season, and I doubt it'll be this offseason. Like, the Titans, if they look absolutely non-competitive in their last seven games, and they lose 37-14 to 14 or 34-7 to 7 or whatever the score was on Sunday, if that happens to a team like the Panthers, for God's sake, for, you know... Then maybe we start talking about it. I still think it's premature because of everything you're saying about this roster. Let's talk about the roster now. Let's talk about some performances from this game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Titans' leading rushers on the day were Chris Moore and Derrick Henry. Took Chris Moore one carry to get to 38 yards. Derrick Henry needed 10. And 10 carries for Derrick Henry is not enough. And Tajay Spears, four carries for 14 yards. Average less yards per carry than Derrick Henry. I think that's the first time... This season that that's happened is not enough, but that's what happens when you only run 38 offensive plays 
and your opponents run 60-something. How many plays did the Jags run? 69. 69. Yeah, 69 total plays for the Jags. They, I mean, that's almost, that's barely more than half as many plays as your opponent. Who's to blame for this? Is it the offense inability to convert? Is it the defense inability to get off the field? It's both. The oh. offense is not good enough, and the defense was not good enough. And um, in this game, we finally got to see Jalen Duncan get some, you know, significant play on the field. Chris Hubbard leaves the game with an injury, and Jalen Duncan comes in. Now, Jalen Duncan played 10 pass-blocking snaps. He did not allow a sack, a hit, or a hurry. Peter Skaronsky played 20 pass-blocking snaps. He did not allow a sack, a hit, or a hurry. He got two rookies out there that played decent, you know, all on the offensive line. The rest of the offensive line was not as good. Dylan Raidens uh, allowed a, a sack, had allowed two hurries, had multiple penalties. Um, Daniel Brunskill was better, a lot cleaner, only allowed one hurry on the 20 pass-blocking snaps. Aaron Brewer allowed a sack, two hurries, had multiple high snaps, one of which turned into a turnover as the Titans put one of their only good drives together. Um, the right offensive the line is... End around. It was, yeah. It was Two almost points. immediately after. There was one incompletion in between. And that the offensive line has just been not good enough. The <laughs> Titans, again, Will Levis was dropped back 20 times, again pressured on half of his dropbacks. And what's crazy about this game is it's such a weird-looking box score because Very. Will Levis statistically actually had a phenomenal game statistically speaking, only through four incompletions, 13 for 17, 158 yards, 9.3 yards per attempt, which is very good, two touchdowns, and only ended up taking two sacks for a QB rating of 143.8. There was only one quarterback on Sunday who had a higher passer rating for the day. That was Brock Purdy, who had a perfect 158.3 passer rating. So Will Levis looked like he had a pretty good game. What did you see from him eye test-wise? that maybe disagrees with his stats. Yeah, I'm about to pee on that parade. I'm about to add some context to those numbers that I think uh, is the truth. I'm going to tell the truth. Um, uh, how many passing yards you said he had? 158. 107 of them came, on, I think, on the final two drives when they were down whatever the hell they were, 27 nothing. 107 of them came, like when they're playing soft coverage shells, like, you know, prevent defense, just running out the clock. Uh, 43 Prevent defense? I'm sorry? Pre prevent defense? Prevent defense gives up a 49-yard touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins? Well, it's a flea flicker trickeration, right? They caught, him on, they caught him on that <laughs> one. So, there's, by the way, there's a huge chunk of your yardage, right, on the trickeration you, you got. It was a beautiful ball. Give him credit. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a fan of his, as you know. Uh, but the context, the context of the numbers, no, 107 of his passing yards came on those final drives. The average yards per attempt, I think, is also greatly inflated based on the 43-yard flea flicker score. Like There was also a nice long bomb to Chris Moore on that final drive where he where one of the final drives. Where he hit Jeffrey Simmons for the touchdown after. Um, no, I, I don't think the numbers are fair. I don't think he was very good. I also obviously don't think he had any help. I think the O-line was bad again, despite what those numbers say. Again, context, only 20 dropbacks, right, or whatever it was, pr pressured on 50% of them. The numbers look a lot worse when you add context to it. No help from his run game, no help from the run. Uh, Derrick Henry, what, 3.8 yards per carry, 38 yards on 10 carries, I believe. Uh, so, no, no help for Will Levis. I will say I thought this was probably his worst game of the four that he's played. I thought early on he was a little erratic, inaccurate like right before the fumble which I, I put on Aaron Brewer 
I thought there was a, a really good opportunity. He missed the wide open Trigaconquo for which would have been a, another chain moving gain. You would have been, I think, inside the 20 because it was right after the Chris Moore end around got you into Jags territory. At one point, he took a sack on the 33 yard line, Jacksonville's 33 yard line that knocked him out of field goal range. They had to punt. They had to burn two first half timeouts due to operational issues. Didn't look like they were going to get the playoff in time. Um, he should have been picked off, in my opinion. That one throw in the first half where he was like, escaping pressure then kind of threw it back almost across his body and I, I think it went in and out of the hands of a Jags defender so again I, I, I may sound like I'm being harsh I'm not pinning all of this on Will Levis I don't think he had any help but I don't think the numbers are reflective of how he played again I thought he was at times erratic made a lot of first half mistakes that cost him opportunities when the game was still within reach a lot of that yardage was empty calories uh, not even just in the second half really at the very end of the third quarter in the fourth quarter um, no, I, I don't think he was terrific. He was def of course, the Atlanta game was a lot better. I think the Pittsburgh game was better uh, than this as well. And I think even the Tampa game was probably slightly better than this one too. Yeah. I think when you put all the context together, you can say that, but I think it is promising that he did show some flashes. And at this point in the year, here's what you're looking for as a Titans fan. This team winning games is actively bad for the future of the team. And I don't, I don't want to hear about uh, you're a bad fan if you root for your team to lose games. Draft picks are a crapshoot. It doesn't matter where you pick. A few spots here and there is not going to change your franchise. The only thing I'll say to that is that's true when you're talking about the difference between 8 and 9 and 5 and 11, 5 and 12, whatever the heck the, the record would be now for a 17-game schedule. Um when you're talking middle of the of the draft, I agree. When you're talking about the Titans have a chance to potentially get a top three, top four pick, top that five. matters. Top five would be great. They could potentially get higher than that. We'll talk about this later. I just wanted to point out the future of this team. Like when you have these two generational quarterbacks and a generational wide receiver prospect in the draft, talking about Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Marvin Harrison Jr., if you end up with the number three pick, you have the chance to change your franchise in this draft. If if a few other guys rise throughout the process and there's like five guys that are blue chip guys by the time we get to the draft, you could either take one of those guys yourself or if you're a team like the Titans that needs more draft picks, you have the chance to trade. If you end up with the number three pick and somebody in one or two doesn't take a quarterback and doesn't make a trade, you have the chance to get a king's ransom for that pick for someone to come get Drake May or whatever. My point is the draft pick will matter. It's not a matter of like, oh, you're picking 12th versus 17th. It's like, no, you could be in the top four. This, that would be huge for the rebuild, for speeding up the process of the rebuild. So before I get further, just want to say, no, you are not rooting for the Titans to win any more games this year. Maybe if Will Levis has a chance to lead a game-winning drive and it's clutch time and you want to see the kid perform in the moment, sure, maybe one more win against the Panthers won't kill you. But you win more than one more game, and you're probably not looking at a top five pick anymore. So I just want to put that out there as I say, the rest of the season, we're watching the young guys. We want to see how many building blocks there really are on this team. And so from that standpoint, while everything you're saying about Will Levis is true, there were flashes. He played with no help. And despite everything late in the game, he's still out there slinging the ball. He's still out there making an amazing throw to DeAndre Hopkins on the flea flicker casually just like flicks his wrist and the ball goes 41 yards and hits him in stride. One of his best deep ball throws I think that we've seen yet because some of the other ones, you know, there was a, another really good one to Hopkins in the Ad Atlanta game, but the, the other ones he's thrown, you know, guys have had to slow down. Guys have had to sort of shift their route or adjust to the ball in a weird way. This throw was perfectly on the money to Hopkins. And then the other one to Chris Moore, 
just love seeing him just like standing in there. He's been under pressure all day. He only took two sacks despite being under pressure on half of his dropbacks. He launches it to Chris Moore. That one's underthrown, but it's a catchable ball and his guy goes up and makes a play. You're giving him a I, shot in one-on-one. Right. I like seeing that aggressiveness. So I think Will Levis showed enough flashes that you can keep being excited about Me the too. potential that he has. Me too. Even if it wasn't his best overall game. So that's what I'm looking for at this point in the year. Tajay Spears, how effective can he be? Can you rely on him to be your number one lead running back next year? Maybe you bring in a complimentary guy at some point, cheap free agent or a late draft pick, assuming you don't bring back Derrick Henry. Maybe they will. But the point is, is Tajay Spears going to be a guy you can build around in the running back room? Do you have enough wide receivers that you feel comfortable? No, not at all. But is there anyone that you feel like Kyle Phillips? Can you make some big plays? Like he had a couple really good games in a row, then had a very quiet game on Sunday. Can Kyle Phillips keep being consistent? Peter Skaronski, can he be the left guard that you need him to be of the future? Jalen Duncan, is he going to get more snaps now? Can he be a starter on this offensive line next year? It's one less piece you have to find. These are the things I'm watching for for the rest of the year. And I got to say, overall, all five of those guys played decently well. Tajay Spears was making plays in the backfield and a, as a receiver. Very nearly uh, turned a like broken play into a first down where he was had to make guys miss and barely nearly got the first down. And then it's fourth and one and you're down by 20 points and you don't go for it. And it's like, I get it. You're deep in your own territory. But at a certain point, you're losing by 20 points in the second half. Just go for it on fourth and one. Just run a QB sneak or give it to Derrick Henry. You got to go for it at some point in these play in these situations when you're just like getting your ass whooped. You got to change the momentum here. And if you don't get it, oh, well, they're going to score anyway. Your defense can't stop anyone. So I think we saw some good stuff. Like I mentioned, Peter Skaronsky. No pressures allowed, no hits, no hurries on 20 passing block, pass blocking snaps. Jalen Duncan, same thing on 10 pass blocking snaps. So you're seeing some pieces that you might be able to build around in the future, even if the team's not winning or even competing in these games. I'll be honest. The one that I'm most interested in watching going forward is Jalen Duncan. Um, Me too. I, I, we don't know the severity of the Chris Hubbard injury as of this recording, but anytime I hear elbow and then is so quickly downgraded to out, I'd be pretty surprised if he can get right back into the lineup immediately. So I thought Duncan came in and played well, all things considered. By the way, before his 10 uh, pass blocking snaps or whatever, 10 true pass blocking snaps, he had seven snaps as an inline tight end. And that's here. I'm, I'm looking right in the camera. That's good coaching because that's the Titans realizing, God, we need help. We can't block anybody, right? So I thought it made a lot of sense <laughs> that Duncan got some opportunities. I'm, I'm dead serious as an inline blocking tight end. But I think going forward, when I look at the offseason, um, and this is obviously, it's, it's a bit early, right? But we've talked a lot about the, the potential to draft Joe Alt or Olu Fashanu, right? To be the future left tackle of this franchise. And I'm still there. That's where I am right now with what, I, you know, we're going to talk about the draft order. That's where I'm at. But they, you still also need a solution to the right tackle problem. And I think that one, and again, nothing's happened yet. We don't know if they're going to draft one of those guys, but it's a little easier to forecast them drafting one of those guys as a left tackle solution. It's more difficult for me to figure out what they're going to do at right tackle, to be honest, because Chris Hubbard's a veteran journeyman on a one-year deal. It probably he's not going to be back, right? It's not the long-term solution. Nicholas petit Friere is certainly not the solution. There's no way in hell you go into next season with him getting first crack at playing right tackle. You, you just can't do that if you want to win football games and not lose your job. Um, so yeah. right tackles a, a bit harder to forecast. Are you going to, you're going to double down. You're going to get one in the second round. Are you even going to be able to get one that late that can, that can play right away? 
Doesn't happen often. The Seattle Seahawks were very fortunate a few years ago when they drafted uh, uh, Charles Cross, and then they got Abe Lucas in like the third round, and he started at right tackle for them immediately and did an all right job as a rookie. That's not common, right? You're probably and, and free agency. We've talked about it. It doesn't look very good, right? There may be one or two solutions there, but the point is what they're going to do at right tackle to me is almost a more interesting question than left tackle because I think it's more difficult to answer as of right now where it's easy to point to Fashanu and Alls, and I still think that's the likely scenario they go if they get one of those picks. So if Duncan can come in here and play well down the stretch and get a lot of opportunities to start at right tackle, um, I, I think there's a chance that maybe, just maybe, um, at least you're going to get a look at a guy that could be an in-house solution, and I think he's going to continue playing right tackle. That'll be worth monitoring this week and the week forward, not just because of um, of the Chris Hubbard injury, but Andre Dillard will probably clear concussion protocol at some time this week. I'll, I'll change. I'm not. I'm kidding, but I will change my tune. Fire Mike Rabel if they put Andre Dillard back in this starting lineup, like you are in evaluation <laughs> mode right now, Andre Dillard's right. not going to be here next year. There's absolutely no need to put him back in this starting lineup. I think you keep playing, unless you want him to play left tackle and you replace Radens. as long as you don't take Duncan out of this lineup, I do not want to see a combo of tackles of Dylan Radens and Andre Dillard because neither of them are a solution moving forward at the tackle position. They're not a long-term solution. I don't know if Jalen Duncan is either, but I want to find out. I think that's the difference, right? right? So I think you play Jalen Duncan down the stretch here at right tackle specifically because you're not going to go into next year with him as your left tackle. There's no way you're going to do that. Uh, But I think you give him a shot to play right tackle, uh, see if he can build on what was a a, a decent performance, I think, all things considered. Uh, That's the evaluation I think I'm most intrigued by right now. Yeah, it's and he's an intriguing player because he came out with so much athletic potential but needed development, right? Well, you've you've had – 12 weeks or whatever now to develop him if he's not ready yet i mean maybe he's not ready yet he's a six-round pick right so maybe it takes more than this this one year but we'll see let's see if there's anything there you can continue to mold and continue to work with and you know there may be some rookie mistakes and it may make life tougher on will levis at at times but maybe he's your best tackle and you don't know it yet because you haven't really given him a chance to play so let's uh i say let's find out um defensively there's not a whole lot i want to talk about because it was just bad was bad across the board there is one thing i want to mention and that is christian fulton was targeted six times allowed six receptions for 115 yards 19.2 yards per catch and had one missed tackle bro calvin ridley had an amazing game 107 yards and two touchdowns trevor lawrence didn't have an amazing day throwing the ball but he was 24 of 32 for 262 yards per attempt, two touchdown passes. He also had two rushing touchdowns. Look, we said it on the podcast, right? This Jags offense has been somewhat struggling. They haven't been the most efficient. Trevor Lawrence has been mediocre, but they're going to light up the Titans. And that's exactly what they did. The Titan defense. Look, I got Calvin Ridley on two fantasy leagues. He's been one of the most frustrating fantasy players of anyone in this whole season because he came out week one. He had all that training camp hype. Came out week one, had a great game, and he's had like one good game since that in the last 11 weeks. But I knew to start him against the Titans this week, and guess what? He was my best player on multiple teams. So that's just what the Titans defense is at right now. Start the quarterbacks, start the receivers who are playing against the Titans. I don't know if that includes Bryce Young and Adam Thielen because the Panthers have really struggled, but... Man, the recipe for your struggling offense is to play the Titans defense. They look, they just don't look like they want to play football. There was 
a chance, and I totally get where you're at at the at the end of the game, where you're down by by 30 points or 20 points, 34 to 14. But that fourth and one carry for Travis Etienne, where the Titans had a chance to stop him and get the ball back, not that it mattered, the game was over, but just from a pride standpoint, just from a like, you're getting your ass kicked and you want to make a play standpoint, letting Travis Etienne get through that pile on that fourth and one and then run for like six or seven more yards just pushing bodies when they kind of had him stopped at the line to gain. That was like the epitome of how much it just seems like they don't even care. They're not really even trying. Yeah, I, I think at that point you're you're probably waiting to go home and and get back in the yes, locker room. But, I, I think a but lot have of people some would goddamn over, pride. I think they, a lot of people would overreact and say, "Well, that's a sign of, of players have quit on the team." I, I don't think it's quite a sign right at the end of the game. There, I think when you don't show up at all from you know quarter one, perhaps you've quit on the team effort wise. And I, I don't think that's <laughs> much says a whole lot. Uh, a, a couple things I want to highlight defensively uh, or the game in general, actually, I'm going to make some bullet points because you're right. It's not worth talking too much about um, sign of a bad football team. All is shooting yourself in the foot, right? I talked about the, the high snap fumble, the, the, the missed to Chig. Well, they had a couple other it's the, the timeouts, the taking a sack on your 33 yard line, putting you out a field goal range. Well, the, the defensive observations that match up with that were, I believe two third down holds or two third down pass interference penalties on Roger McCreary that extended drives. And one of them I thought was pretty weak, but the second one was a no brainer uh, penalty. The uh, one where he got face, the one where he got stiff armed in the face mask was not pass interference. That was the first one. I think it made no sense that was at the first all. One, I don't yeah. know what they were calling there, but <laughs> sign of a bad football team, third down penalties that extend drives for the offense. Uh, there was also uh, Christian Fulton, you mentioned six of six. I didn't even realize it. And I'll raise my hand up. Didn't realize it. Uh, they're talking about it right now as we're recording. He got benched for Trey Avery. He got pulled from the game on occasion. And Mike Rabel said during his Monday press conference, when you're, you know, you're getting beat and giving up catches. That's one thing. There was other reasons that we removed him from the lineup. So probably what we speculated on earlier this year, maybe going against his rules, not playing coverage techniques that he's taught to play. Uh, so back in the doghouse after he got, it sounds like Christian Fulton after a couple of good weeks. I don't know if you watched his post-game presser. Uh, I did, or in the locker room, I should say. I mean, talk about a guy not wanting to talk, not giving a damn, it seems like. I mean, every question he answered with, we have to watch the film, right? Like he just, he's got nothing to say. He, he's counting down the days till free agency. It seems he can get out of here, right? Yeah. Like I think both sides feel the same way. So uh, yeah. sign of a bad football team goes back to what I said about the roster and, and how talentless players commit penalties, uh, both shot themselves in the foot so many times, offensively and defensively. Two things I want to highlight about this game, I think, before we get into the draft uh, order update conversation. Um, a lot of talk about the O-line, Will Levis, the coverage. I get all that. It's fun to talk about. Two things not being talked about enough, in my opinion, um, how bad this pass rush continues to be right now. You're just not getting effective results out of them. It goes back to you know the Pittsburgh game a couple weeks ago. They didn't put enough pressure on Baker Mayfield. In the Tampa game, uh, this is a unit you know, that's supposed to be carrying this team. Uh, carrying this defense, you're not seeing that at all right now. And they're putting more pressure on a bad secondary, and it's leading to the results that we're seeing. Just not getting enough. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Simmons, I think, has been outstanding. But a couple other guys, I don't think we're talking. I mean, we've talked about Harold Landry, maybe getting his feet back under him, but the consistency is not there. We haven't talked enough about Arden Key. Uh, I just haven't seen the consistency from him, the pass rush upside since the very early portion of the season. It's just not there right now. It's hurting the team. Uh, even Dina Coatre, in all honesty, I think he's still leading the team in sacks. I'm not seeing that snap-to-snap consistency from him. Um, I mean, look, we, we cannot sit here. We just cannot sit here and say that these guys are all really good football players. They're playing really well right now, and yet the pass rush results are what they are. There's something right. going wrong. 
right? And I think we do have to point the finger at Arden Key right now, Dina Coatri, Harold Landry, all these guys are delivering lackluster results right now. And that's why the pass rush is not as good as it's supposed to be. Uh, another thing I don't think has been talked about enough is, you know, Derrick Henry, I think 38 yards on 10 carries, 3.8 yards per carry. Uh, I felt like, and I wish I had the official numbers in front of me, but I know I'm right on this. It felt like every time they were in a third down situation, it was like third and seven or third and eight. And that's despite the fact that Will Levis only attempted 17 passes. And again, they, they lost uh, by 30 po- 20 points, whatever it was, like you said. And yes, some of that's got to do with you only ran 38 offensive plays. You were right when you said offense and defense are both to blame for that because you're not extending drives, but you're also not getting off the field and getting the ball back for your offense. But I think the thing that bothers me there is this offense, and I say it all the time, they run the football a lot. Well, they have to try to stay ahead of the sticks, right? Because they, the traditional drop back passing game just can't thrive behind this offensive line. So I'm very disappointed that the first, you know, first down results, second down results, running the football, it seemed like it was always getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage. It was always going for one or two yards, putting this offense in exactly what they don't want to be right. Third and seven, third and eight. Um, So this rushing attack, I don't think is getting enough flack in the wake of this game. I get it. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of blame to be put on the quarterback, the offensive line, the secondary, whatever you want to talk about, but we're not talking enough about how this uh, rushing attack just can, is not doing its job. It's not getting the offense in favorable third down situations. That's what it's supposed to be doing, staying ahead of the sticks, not doing it. Uh, I'm rambling, but saying, I, I wanted to talk about all the penalties, offense, defense, like it's just all the sign of a bad football team. Right. And I want to point out something. So the Titans overall were two of seven on third down. I'm going to go through the third downs really quick for you here. First one was a third and seven that turned quickly into a third and two because of Trayvon Walker jumping off sides. Will Levis was sacked for an eight yard loss on third and two. You don't have a play dialed up to get the ball out of his hand. I mean, I, he was pressured almost immediately. It's third and two. Roll the pocket. Do some. You know your offensive line is bad, coaching staff. Do something to help there. Third and two, not converted. The next drive, they fumbled before they had a third down. The next drive, they get in a third and three. Will Levis scrambles, picks up the first down, maybe injures himself slightly. He played through it. It might pop up on the injury report this week. Probably will, I think, actually, but... Will Levis converts the first down, third and three. You get a short third and three, you have a chance. The next third down is third and five. Levis is incomplete, looking for Josh Wiley. Third and five is not impossible. Titans end up getting a penalty on that fourth down, and they end up going forward on fourth and one, pick up the first down. A little bit later, third and seven, Kyle Phillips, 10-yard screen. They actually are able to convert a third and seven. They a little ran bit later. Same, they ran the same play out of the timeout. <laughs> It uh, yeah. blew me away that they didn't even switch it up. I think I was even more blown away that the Jags couldn't stop it after seeing it. Yeah, I agree. Um, the next third down was third and seven at the 33-yard line. This is the one you've been talking about. Will Levis takes a seven-yard loss sack and is knocked out of field goal range. Next drive, third and seven. Uh, like Will I Levis said. hits Chigaconquo for six yards. Doesn't get the first down. This is one that I was hoping they might go for it. You're at your own 30-yard line. but Agreed. But it's 10 nothing. it's 4th and 1, run a fake punt or go for it somehow. The next drive, 3rd and 7, and they pick up 6 yards uh, to Tajay Spears, is the one I was talking about earlier. 4th and 1 at your own 27, you're down 20-0 to zero with 7 minutes left in the game. Go for it! They I don't agree. go for it, they punt it away. The next drive, they get 1 3rd down, 3rd and 5, and they get a... Will Levis gets taken down and the ball is thrown nowhere near anybody... But Calevon Chason threw his full body weight on top of Will Levis, so you get a conversion on a penalty. That's the only reason they were able to convert that third down. The next drive was a touchdown drive. No third downs. There's your answer. You avoid third down completely. 
you go down and score. <laughs> um, and the drive before that was also a touchdown drive. So that's the uh, that's the answer. You just avoid third down completely. You go down all the way down the field and score a touchdown. But the third downs, it wasn't necessarily as bad as you say. Like the longest one was third and seven. They just can't protect long enough, and they couldn't convert without a. They had one conversion where Will Levis scrambled for four yards, and one conversion because Caleb on chase on throw is threw his full body weight on top of Will Levis. Horrid. And by, I want to add some quick context. I'm sorry not to take it back. I looked up the Arden key numbers while we were discussing oh. uh, four pressures in his last four games, 100 pass rushing oh. snaps, zero sacks, zero quarterback hits. So I said it. We got to talk about the pass rush. We can't be praising these guys that we think are good uh, when they're not getting results right now. So I rest my case. But let me ask you, does that go back to coaching? Because you say this team is bad, not because of coaching, but because of a talent deficiency. But then you look at the front four and you're like, I know Jeffrey Simmons is a really good player. I know Danico Autry is a really good player. I know Harold Landry can be a good player. I know Arden Key can be a good player. None of them are playing that well. Jeffrey Simmons may be the exception. Is that not a coaching? Does that not go back to your schemes on defense, freeing these guys up in the pass rush, like running the stunts and the games and the twists, bringing the blitzes at the right time? I mean, the Titans tried to blitz finally very late in this game, and they end up giving up a huge pass over the top because the blitz gets works. picked up and there's no one on it the back end. It never works when you blitz a DB anymore. It doesn't work. It never works. They always get exposed. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I mean, a little maybe, but no, I don't. Ultimately, I think Arden, he's a grown man. He's an adult. He's got to win one-on-one, right? When he's been given these opportunities and he was winning earlier in the year. Is that on coaching when he was winning? We praised the coaches then. Well, it's not on them <laughs> either when he's losing right now. He's just not winning one-on-one. He's in a bit of a funk. And he's got to, you know, figure it out. But so, no, I don't really think it, it wasn't on coaching really when he was winning. It's not really on coaching now when he's losing either. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for anyone wondering, um, Teron Davenport just tweeted this, but Mike Vrabel just said it in his Monday morning press conference. The Titans have no intention. Mike Vrabel has no intention of firing any coaches or coordinators at this time. So you can stop calling for it. Let's, before we wrap this pod up, let's talk about the updated draft order. The Titans now pick sixth if the draft were Sunday. to start today. It was a good Sunday it was if a you good... watch the Titans game and you don't care. It was a decent Sunday because <laughs> the dang Bears got, got blew a two-score lead with four minutes left in the game. Um, all right, here's the updated draft order. Picking number one is Chicago. That pick is from Carolina. So we're rooting for Carolina to win games. Number two is Arizona. We're rooting for Arizona to win games. Number three is New England Patriots. Number four, Chicago Bears. Number five, New York Giants. The Patriots and the Giants play each other this weekend. So one of those teams is going to get another win. And then at six is the Titans at three and seven. So we're basically rooting for those five teams to win as many games as possible. Look, I'm going to say something potentially blasphemous and I might get, you know what, if you light me up in the comments for this one, I get it. If the Panthers beat the Titans this weekend, that is good. It is good for the team. It's good for the future. And it also will shine a light on just how bad the Titans are if they lose to a Panthers team this weekend. That maybe some changes will be coming in terms of personnel. Maybe Jalen Duncan gets a chance. Maybe they turn to some of these young guys just to see what they got because the guys on the field aren't getting it done. Anyway, I'm not ever going to tell anyone to root against your football team, but... It's time to start thinking about it. <laughs> no, I knew where you were going with that, and I get it too, right? I, we'll get to the, you know, I guess that game preview, so to speak, later in the week. But uh, spoiler alert, I, I don't think the Titans are going to lose to the Panthers. Maybe I'm dumb. Maybe I'm naive. I don't think they're going to. We'll see what happens. They're at home. They played better at home this year. I do think the Panthers are a slightly worse football team than the Titans. Expect that draft order to drop. But they moved up one overall. 
Uh, they were number seven before this weekend. Now they're number six. That's a, that's a good thing. The way I see it right now, though, I've said it all the time, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Marvin Harrison Jr., Olu Fashanu, Joe Alt. Having that six picker worse, it, it scares me a little, right? That you, you would be missing out on those five players. So we'll see what happens. It, I think getting to number five overall would be ideal because you guarantee yourself one of those five players. And look, th- those guys aren't guaranteed to go one to five. But I'll be honest with you, I, I kind of feel like they, they're going to as of now. And it's early. There is not a defensive player in this prospect, in this draft that's worth a top five pick. There just isn't. I'd be pretty shocked, in all honesty, if a defensive player goes in the top five of this draft, right? Then you've got the tight end, Brock Bowers. He's elite. Is, is a tight end going to go that early? We'll see. But the point is, it would certainly be in the Titans' best interest to have a top five pick, even if it's number four or five. doesn't have to be a top three pick. I get if it's three, you're probably guaranteeing yourself a chance at Marvin Harrison Jr. That's super exciting. But they need a left tackle so bad right now. If you're at four or five, it's a good place to be. You're guaranteeing yourself Olu Fashanu or Joe Alt. If you don't pick five, um, I, I, I'd be fairly concerned that you're going to miss out on all five of those players. Well, just keep in mind the draft process is long and crazy, and guys will rise. Absolutely. And there will there will be some random guy picked fourth overall that we're all that we all projected to go thirteenth, and we're like, whoa, sure. why is he going fourth overall? So I think you know top six. You're not safe, safe. You're not mathematically safe, but I think you have, you still have a decent chance, and there'll be trades. Someone sure. will come up and get somebody that we didn't expect to go or whatever it is. I think top six is a good place to be in, but yeah, you'd love to be higher. You'd love to be top four or five just to guarantee you get one of those guys, like you said. So between the, the Cardinals have a winnable game against the Rams coming up, the Bears have Justin Fields back. They were very competitive with the Lions. They almost beat the Lions, who are leading the division there at eight and two, and they just blew it on the final couple few plays of the game. Um, the Giants beat the Commanders with Tommy DeVito when I thought the Giants weren't going to even sniff another win this season, and Same. they somehow forced six turnovers against Washington. So look, anything can happen here. I think you know Arizona's been playing without Kyler Murray all year. He look, he's looked good in the last two games. Yes. Just barely came up short of the win here. The Cardinals kick a couple field goals when they on um, and chances they went for fourth downs, then they would have been able to win potentially win that game. Um, and like I said, the the Patriots and the Giants play each other this weekend, so there's a win there. A I looked one. at the I looked ahead at these team schedules. There's not a lot of wins looking like very favorable on their schedules. But you look at the Titans schedule, and there's not a lot of wins looking favorable there either. No. So I think this is like the the biggest chance for Tennessee to get a win again this season is this weekend against Carolina. But like I said, maybe fun on Sunday, but it's way better for the future of this team if they don't win that game. And I know I might get lit up for that. So let me know in the comments if you totally disagree. If I if you consider me a bad fan. For what I'm saying here. Anything else you want to hit, Justin, before we get out of this? That does it. That does it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks even more to those of you who are watching. Remember to subscribe to the channel, the Music City Audible. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. You can follow me at Titans Film Room. We'll be back a little bit later on to preview this game against the Panthers on Thanksgiving week here in America. Justin, we have this thing called Thanksgiving. Ever heard of it? Um, what? What? <laughs> So that will do it. We'll be back when we see you guys next. Until then, y'all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.